0: Um, We are looking in Romans chapter 1, and let's start reading again from the beginning, and then we'll pick it up. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, According to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's, start, let's pick it up in verse 4 who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared the Son of God. He always has been the Son of God. There's nothing new about this. It was at that point of his resurrection, he was declared the Son of God in a a great proclamation of power, even though he always has been the Son of God. Uh, and And it says, By the resurrection from the dead this being easter it is it is uh, uh just so fitting for us to look at this resurrection and just think a little bit about this so turn to uh if you turn to 1 corinthians chapter 15 this is this is like the resurrection chapter but it just nails it home for us 1 corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 now i make known to you brethren the gospel which i preached to you which also you received in which also you stand by which also you are saved If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I want you to remember this this little passage. Unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then also to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even all the more than all of them. Not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. So Paul is giving a legal defense for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 2 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he says, unless you believed in vain. There is a way of believing in vain. Means that it doesn't afford you anything. And that's to not believe in the resurrection. So if you do not believe in the resurrection... Your 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 faith is in vain, it says, and he says, I'm delivering to you as of first importance what I also received. And we talked about this last time. The most important thing, this is the gospel in summary, that that uh Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he talks about how he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then the twelve. Well, we know he appeared first to women. You look in the gospel accounts. But he never references the women because here he's giving a legal argument. And and a woman's testimony had no legal basis in those days. And so even though they appeared... For, he appeared then why would Jesus appear first to the women? Why would he if it had no legal basis? It's because that's the way he did. He appeared first to women. He wasn't going by, by Roman law or by... by uh, uh, the law of Israel, he was just, just appeared to women. and He probably appeared to them first because they, they loved him more. It says that uh, they were the ones who showed up at the tomb to try to anoint him, anoint his body. They were the ones that, that uh, were right there who never left the foot of the cross. His disciples had fled. Now, John, of, of the 11 that were left, John was the only one that came back of the, of the, from among that 12. But um, so you see, you see here he, he's, uh, he, he goes and he starts speaking to them about, about uh, uh, this, this legal testimony of what's going on here. And then he, is, he says he appeared to Peter, Cephas, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So he says he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Hallucinations are not shared. When you have 500 people at one time, think about the number of people that Jesus came and, and exposed himself to when, after his resurrection. And he's saying that most of them are alive. You can ask them, you can talk to them. So he's not hiding this thing. If this thing were made up, he'd never be writing like this. He says, You can ask them. And then he appeared to James. That's his brother. You know, he, very often family is not going to believe. That, that you're really anointed of God. But James had no trouble. He knew that this man was different. And last of all, he appeared to me. And then Paul goes on. He says, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Look at the way he dealt with this. He says, I persecuted the church. Very few people would be able to have, have committed such acts against Jesus and then come through and serve him. I don't know if you've ever committed a sin and you're like, "Oh, my life is useless. How could I ever be of service to the Lord? But Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Look, he got over it. Sometimes we just have to get over it. Okay, you blew it in the past. Don't let that defeat you. So Paul said, he said, uh, for I am the least of the apostles, I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Uh, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not... Prove vain, but I labored even more. So he went and he labored even more for the Lord as a result of this. And then he says in verse 12 Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. So again, he says our faith is in vain. Our faith is vain if there, if there is no resurrection. And he's going to say the same thing again if we read on down. Moreover, verse 15, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, which he, whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. But if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. If we do not take hold of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're still in our sins. Verse 18, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. We are more to be pitied by saying, I believe Jesus is Lord, but I do not believe in his resurrection we are more to be pitied than a person who says, I don't believe in Jesus, nor do I believe in his resurrection. The Bible says it right here. We are the most to be pitied if we do not take hold of the resurrection. The resurrection comes with power. It's amazing, this power that comes. That's why Paul could say that he, he spoke of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. <clears throat> and then let's read on <clears throat> in, uh, in Romans chapter chapter 4, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection. He was declared the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and we have to take hold of this. You know, this is is just nailed home to us in the scriptures. Look in John chapter 3, John chapter 3. Again, this just comes right back to us. John chapter 3, verse 18. John chapter 3, verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We are judged if we do not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of of God. Jesus, everything, everything is around Jesus. Again, in verse John chapter 3, verse 36. And he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey or believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So this word obey, if you look in the footnote in the New American Standard, it'll say believe. If you look in many other versions of the Bible, it'll say believe. So this obey, believe is really intertwined. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey or believe in the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In everything, everything is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, the Bible says in in Colossians 2.9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus Christ, this man, in this man Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Think of this. God, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus in bodily form. I mean, this guy was just glowing. Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus Christ. This is amazing. This is amazing. All the fullness of Him, in Colossians 2.9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. You want to know what God is like? Learn about Jesus. Learn about the things that Jesus said, the way that he walked, the way that he responded to people. He wasn't a pushover in any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the lawyers came to him and they said, when when you say that to the Pharisees, you offend us also. And Jesus didn't say, "Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, Worst thing I could do is offend you. You know, That's the worst thing you could do to anybody is offend them. No, Jesus didn't say that. He said, does that offend you? How about this? You're responsible for the death of all the prophets. Hallelujah. You, you're responsible for this. For the, for, for, from the first to the last, you're responsible for all of those deaths. I mean, Jesus wasn't a pushover in any way. And this is exactly the exact representation of what God is like. This is why we worship him forever and ever. Jesus is the exact representation of God in bodily form. God comes in bodily form. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything is upheld. We stay together. The universe stays together. Our solar system stays together. Our molecules stay together just because Jesus is holding it. By the word of his power, it stays together. Everything, everything good is in Jesus. And when he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, took my sin away. He purifies us, and all of this happens because of Jesus. Do you see? All of this. That's why he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Scientists have never created life. Now, I can never say that they never will. I don't know that they never will. But they have never created life. They've never even come close. Not at all. All this nonsense you read about synthetic cells, that's all where they took a cell and they took a part out of it and they took something from another cell or they made a part and they put it in. That's not making life. The life's already there. Scientists have, were clueless on how to make life. Here he says, he says that, that this is by the power of the resurrection from the dead. God holds this secret of how, how to make life. And he resurrects, he resurrects life. You you talk about resurrecting a person? I mean, you can't even resurrect a cell. Take any cell, just a single cell. When that thing dies, all the pieces are just about in place. Make it live again. I have no idea. I have no idea. We have no idea how to make these things alive again. We're clueless on this. This is just amazing what God can do, and uh, in it He just holds these keys of life, according to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It says according to the Spirit of Holiness. I mean, Jesus is holy in everything He does. <clears throat> you know, many people uh, uh, pray for me, and I know this because they write to me. So I have, uh, I have. Uh, uh, Whole Mormon churches praying for me. They like what, what I'm, I'm publishing on, on Origin of Life. And I thank them. I say, thank you for your prayers. I have, I have imams write to me that, that uh, they have their whole uh, uh, mosques uh, uh, watching my videos on Origin of Life. And then people write to me and they say, oh, we, we wish you would become a Muslim. We and I'm I like, you know, I really appreciate this because this means a lot to you and you're trying to share with me the thing that means a lot to you. But I really want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like other people. I want to be like Jesus. Because Jesus walked in holiness in every way about him. He walked in holiness. The best we can ever do is to try to be like Jesus, to walk like Jesus walked. That man was sinless, without sin in any way. His feet never went on an ill errand. His hands never did anything that was evil. Never did an evil look fall from His eyes. In every way, He was perfect. Every way, He was kind and gracious to us. In everything, He is good. This Jesus, this is why forever and ever we shall worship Him. Forever we shall worship Him. And uh, uh, he walked in the spirit of holiness. It says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 5 of Romans chapter 1, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Through whom we have received grace. What is grace? Grace is an undeserved gift. Grace is an undeserved gift and we have received, we have received these undeserved gifts through Jesus. Through whom we have received grace. Grace means the undeserved gifts that we get from God. It all comes through Jesus. You want to know why we get these gifts? It's through Jesus. And he just dumps it on us just so much. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reading from verse 7. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, reading from verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. I thank my God Forever. For the grace of God that was given in Christ Jesus. The grace of God comes embodied in Jesus Christ. Every good thing we have is because of the grace of God and it comes embodied in Jesus Christ. All the good things. What's this grace about? Well, read verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That in everything you were enriched in him. In all speech and in all knowledge. In everything you're enriched in him. If there's anything good in your life, it's through Jesus. It's through the grace which Jesus gives you. Do you see how wonderful Jesus is? In everything, it's through Jesus. Everything is through Jesus. He says, in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge. You mean the ability to speak is because of Jesus? Yes, that's grace. That's an undeserved gift. You didn't deserve that gift. The ability to know things. That's through Jesus. You didn't deserve that. He gave it to you. It's an undeserved gift in all speech and in all knowledge. I tell you, you know, I walk around my laboratory and I look around and I'm like, Jesus, you have given me so much. Look at all the discoveries that are here. This is all from you. Everything is an undeserved gift. When you learn to appreciate Jesus, it's, it's just amazing. Why don't you try this mind game once? Everything that you haven't given thanks for, you lose. You you lose your backpack if you never gave thanks for it. You lose your hat. You lose the chair you're sitting on. Everything that you haven't given thanks for, you lose. You will see how much is embodied in the grace of God that's been given to us. Everything, everything we have is because of the grace of God. Everything we have. He says all speech and all knowledge, even speech and knowledge, Even speech and knowledge, yes, that too has been given because of Jesus. Even in in verse 6 of of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't lack anything. You don't lack any gift that God has called you to use for his glory. God has given you everything you need. So if you walk around, wow, I wish I had the gift of that person. You don't need the gift of that person for what God has called you to do. He has given you every gift you need has already been given to you. So that you're not lacking in any gift. The gifts have already been given. You're given more grace in the gift the more you exercise it. To whom much is given, much is expected. And he, he calls us to this. And as we use it, we get more of it. He gives us more implementation in it. It's just everything, all speech, all knowledge, everything good has come because of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what what he's talking about in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. Through whom we have received grace. Through whom? Through Jesus. It says, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. It's through Jesus that we receive all these undeserved gifts. It's through Jesus. Everything is about His Son. He is the exact representation of His nature. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. When he had made purification of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. I mean, just the radiance of it, the part that goes out and touches the world, that's Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature. The exact representation. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. That's why when Philip said, Philip said, just just show us the Father and it's enough to us. And Jesus is like, I've been with you all this time, Philip? And you've not recognized me? I mean, when you look at Jesus, you're looking at the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father's nature. In every way, it's all about Jesus. And he says in verse 5 of Romans chapter 1, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. He received his gift of apostleship through Jesus. You receive your gift of whatever he has called you to through Jesus. It's all because of Jesus and his grace. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name. To bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. There's something about this faith. Obedience of faith. I want you to look at this. Turn to 1 John, the book of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says this. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You want to know how we overcome? By faith. I have seen people that because of faith they, they can overcome. Because of faith. There's an amazing power that comes through faith. You take a man, you take a woman who has faith, they accomplish amazing things because they just believe what the Bible says. They actually believe God's words. When we have faith, so much happens. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You want to pray for your children? Pray for your children, but you better have faith. Believe that God hears your prayers for your children. Have faith in this. Believe that God Here's your prayers for your career. Believe that, God, throughout my career, I would would break it midday, go to the chapel on campus and just pray about my work, pray about my career, that, God, let let me really bring glory to you through my work. Lord, I pray your blessing to be upon it. I have this career. Let me bring glory to you through this. Lord, give us great discoveries. It says that we overcome the world by our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And this is the victory that has overcome the world? Our faith. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We must couple it with faith. It must be coupled with faith. Faith has to be all a part of this. If you, if you turn to uh, uh, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, we've looked at this portion before recently, but it, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, I want you to, to, to see this verse again. Hebrews chapter 4, um, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. But let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should not, any one of you uh, uh, may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we've had the good news preached to us, just as they also, but the, words, the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. When we hear a word, we must couple it with faith. It didn't profit them, it says, because it was not united by faith <clears throat> in those who heard. When we don't couple it by faith, we never get to appropriate it. It must be coupled by faith. We must couple this thing with faith. This is the faith that has overcome the world. The, and he talks about the obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. Where God says, have faith. Have faith. Well, how, how, can, somebody, how can somebody command us to have faith? That, that's sort of like commanding somebody to love you. How do you. You can command me to pick up the chair. You can command me to do so. How can you command me to love? How can you do this? Well, God does that all the time. God actually does that all the time. He says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's what he says. He commanded them to love him. God commands us to love him. Jesus did the same thing in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus actually added the word mind. Now, he's the son of God, so he's allowed to add to the scriptures because it's the word of God. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Again, he's commanding us to love, which is a strange thing to us. You can't command somebody to love you. In fact, if somebody were to command me to love them, I'd probably not love them. But God commands us. He says, this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, a command to love. He commands us to love. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets, meaning the entire Old Testament. The law was the law of Moses. The prophets is everything else. He says the whole thing is based on these two commandments, that you shall love God and you shall love your neighbor. This is what he commands us to do. But the amazing thing is this. God says, I have every right to expect from you that which you possess. And I know that you possess it because I gave it to you. God is expecting from us love. He is expecting from us faith. And he commands these things in our lives. He commands it because he gave it to us. He gave it to us. So in other words, if I give you something... It is okay for me to expect you to let that reflect out of you because I know I already gave it to you. God gives love, so so God gives this. So in First in John chapter four, verse seven, in First John chapter four, verse seven, it says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. The love that we have is from God. So God says, I can expect you to love, because I gave it to you." I know you have the capacity to love me. And I know you have the capacity to love your neighbor because I gave you that capacity. So you can't say, well, I, I, don't, I don't really love my neighbor. God says, I gave you the capacity to love your neighbor. You may be denying it, but I gave it to you so I know you have that capacity. He gave us that. He gave us faith. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is God's gift to us. So he expects that from us. That's why he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, obedience of faith. He expects us to obey in faith. Because I gave it to you. You may deny that you have it, but I know you have it because I see it in your pocket. I gave it to you. I gave you that faith. God gives us Faith, and so he expects us to walk in faith, to believe him. God even gives us a will to do things. You say, "Well, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really want to do that." Well, if, if you look in uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse thirteen, for it is God who is at work in you. Ephesians, I'm, I'm sorry, Philippians two thirteen. Philippians two thirteen. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will. And to work for his good pleasure. Even the will that I have is from God. I can't even claim that I have the will to serve God. God gave me that will. God gave me love. God gave me faith. God gave me will. And God gave me the ability to work. He says both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who's at work in you. Both to will and to work. God gives us the will. So we can't say, well, I just don't, I, I, I just don't feel you know, I, like I have the will for that. God says, no, I see will in your pocket. I put it there. I know you have it. So I'm expecting you to let that will come out so that you will do what I tell you. You will to do what I tell you. Because God expects from us these qualities flowing through our lives because he's given it to us. He knows that we can do it because he's given us these qualities. He's given us these things already in our life. That's why when he talks about in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience. It's faith that gives us victory. It's faith that overcomes the world. And it's the obedience of faith where he expects us to have faith. It expects us to have faith because he gave it to us. Obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. You don't have to be Jewish for this. He gave it to everyone. To the Gentiles, he gave it as well. I'm expecting it from you. God expects from us the very qualities that he has given us. It's already there. This is why when I share with people about Jesus and I share with them about the resurrection, How can any thinking man or woman who's been educated believe in a physical resurrection from the dead? How can any thinking man or woman believe in a physical resurrection from the dead? And it's because of this. Because God has already placed that truth on their heart. Had he not, it'd be too hard to believe that. I mean, could I convince you of Santa Claus? I mean, this is too incredible unless God had already placed it in their heart. That's why he has that expectation that you're going to believe it. That's how he can make it a requirement for salvation, is that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that that we confess that he's Lord, the lordship of Jesus, and that he's risen. We believe in our heart that he has risen from the dead. We must believe that he has risen from the dead. That would be too high of a hurdle Too high of an expectation had he not already placed that on the heart. That's why when people ask me about this thing, I know it's already there. I'm just asking them to confess to what's already in their heart. Just like already in their heart is love, is will, is faith, along with the resurrection. It's already there. God has put that on the heart of people. It's already there. The power is already there to do that. Because it's already in our heart. And that's what he says. The obedience of faith. Nobody, nobody but God can command us to have faith in something. I mean, if somebody's going to command me to have faith in something, I'm not going to have faith in it. I'm going to believe it. But God can do it. Because he's already put it in our lives. It's already there. This is the beautiful thing about this. Every good thing is embodied in Jesus. Everything. Everything of the Godhead is embodied in Jesus. He is the exact representation of God's glory. He is the radiance of his nature. Everything is embodied in Jesus Christ. Oh, that you would love him more today. Oh, that you would go out from here and love Jesus all the more and thank him for every good thing that you have. And oh, that you would pray with faith that God hears you. You don't need all sorts of glowing flowery things. Just come to him and speak to him as you would one person to another, and lay your burdens before him. You don't need a lot of preambles or anything. I mean, can you imagine all the preambles we go through before we ask God for something? I mean, you must be like, are you going to get to it or something? <laughs> how long before you get to it? I mean, I do this with people. Students come in and they, talk, so what can I help you with? What is it? And, and uh, uh, you just want to hear it. I mean, imagine how God, what God has to put up with all the time. Just you got, you got something in your heart? Come to Him. Say it. And then walk in faith after you've expressed this to Him. This is what He calls us to do. Wow, it is embodied in this portion. In this, this, this Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 is just, just jam-packed. Okay, let's close in prayer. Oh Lord Jesus, blessed be Your name. I thank you, Lord Jesus, because everything good is in you. For all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in you. All good things come through your blessed hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how good and gracious you are in every way to us. Thank you that grace is embodied in you. That the power of the resurrection and that you call us to believe it because you've already placed that truth in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to the obedience of faith because you've already put that in our heart, the ability to have faith. You've already put love in our heart, will in our heart, and the ability to work for God has already been placed there. That's why you can expect that from us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, for all your mercies. Every good thing comes from you. And Father, I pray for those On this call, those in this room that might not know you, Father, I pray, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would so work in their lives, so work in their lives. If they don't know you, that they would come to know you today, that they would even reach out to me today, send me an email, and we would set a time, even today, for me to just lead them to a relationship with Jesus. Father, do that, I pray. Save a soul today, I pray. For the glory of Jesus, save a soul. Bring another into his kingdom. I ask you, O Father, bring another into the kingdom of God this day. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Give me children or I die. Father, let me see them coming. Let me see them coming to you. Oh, Lord, I need to see more coming to my Lord Jesus. Coming to my Lord Jesus. Do that. Convert the hearts this very day. Lord, please don't let the sun go down without converting a heart today. And let me see it. Lord, doesn't a farmer get to see the work of his hand, the produce? Doesn't that very farmer that planted the seed get to see it? Lord, let me see it this day, I pray. And Father, in the life of the believers who have heard this message, Father, give them a greater love for Jesus, that they would understand everything, everything comes from him. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, amen.